So in Genesis chapter 24 has 67 verses, which is about three times what we had last week. So I am not going to read all of them because he recaps the story right in the middle of the story. Um, I'm going to read the first 27 verses, and then he recaps it later on um, when he tells it back to the brother and, and father of the story. But this is a story about Abraham who is looking for a wife for his son to pass on the legacy to. Sarah has passed away, and he sends out his servant, which I will refer to as his servant, but we later find that is his servant Eliezer, which he was concerned that his um, all his inheritance was going to. You're going to find out that Eliezer was a good person to send that inheritance to down the road because he was a very good servant and uh, followed his master well. And he also followed the Lord. You can see that Abraham's discipling is going to shine forth in this as well. So in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, and we'll read the first 27 verses in the New Living Translation. It says, Abraham was now a very old man. The Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh, swear by the Lord that the, the God of heaven and earth that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. The servant asked, but what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? No, Abraham responded. Be careful, never take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who told me from my father, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back to you, then you are free from this oath of mine, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions, and he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to a distant Aram Naharam, and there he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me a success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside the spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. And if she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one who you have selected as Abraham's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca and came out, to be, came out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was a son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Melchiah, which we read about in chapter 22. Rebecca was a very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again, running over to her. The servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she said, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. 
When she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the water trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. Whose daughter are you? He asked. And and please tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? I am the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Melchiah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and we have room for your, for guests. The man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, he said. The Lord has shown me unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relative. Praise be to God for his word. The next step, the next step, God will lead us when we live a life of worship. Will he not? He will lead us when we live a, when we live a life of worship, when we pray to him, and when we strive to obey his word. Then we will, we will be where God wants us to be. We will do the things God has called us to do, and God will move in an undeniable way that confirms God is putting us in the place for such a time as this, when we walk in obedience in the next step. Right? When we do our part, God will show up and do his part by far. Here we see once again Abraham and his servant walking by faith. God did not want Isaac to have a wife from the Canaanite women, nor from his home. Uh, he wanted a wife from his home area, but he didn't want Isaac to live in that area. Like Abraham, God is calling Isaac out of the culture and into his grace so he can live in God's provision. God is starting that process with his father and now by choosing his wife. And here we enter Abraham's servant. As he goes and finds Rebekah, in verse 6, we see Abraham put the situation entirely into God's hands. It's almost like a vision he had. And he said, God's angel will go before you. And then in verse 12, we see that, that God's servant doing the same thing. God, I know that you've gone before me. Uh, allow me to pick out the right person as has gone before me. And have you ever found, had a time in your life when you totally put everything, as far as control goes, in God's hands? How does that feel? When we are passionately pursuing the Lord, more often than not, we find ourselves at peace with the decision that needs to be made or has been made, and now we have to follow through with it. And when we are casually following the Lord, the anxiety level starts to rise a little bit, doesn't it? And you're like, oh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, it's kind of like the, the kid that forgot there was a quiz that day. And you're like, I forgot to study. Oh, no, Lord, if you just help me with this, with this test, I'll, I'll be fine. Just help calm me down. I, I know it. I just got to remember it. Oh, boy. Uh, we've all been in both those situations, right? And when doubt creeps in, we, re we really do see 
a correlation between our faith walk and the level of peace in our lives. When we're walking close with the Lord, the peace is more present. And when we're walking casually with the Lord, the unknown comes with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of heightened uh, awareness maybe, and sometimes, dare I say, a little bit of a thrill. And that is the danger of casually walking with the Lord because we like that little thrill sometimes. And that in itself can be sinful if we put that in front of our faith in the Lord. Um, so I encourage you to walk by faith in his peace. And t let me tell you, he'll get you in a bigger situation where you get that thrill just fine. So <laughs> he, he will do his part, let me tell you. Here we see the servant walking with the Lord in prayer, seeking his will, and God answers the prayer immediately when Rebecca walks up to the caravan and goes right to work. She gives a little bit of water to him and says, let me water your camels until they're done drinking. That wasn't even part of the deal. She just went above and beyond because God is going to answer that prayer even so much more. So have you had a time in your life when God has answered clearly as you have walked in faith with him? You have those times when God has shown up and he's, he's answering. I personally use those times in my life to evaluate the presence of the Lord in my life. Am I walking clearly with the Lord now? Am I doing my part um, through my actions? How am I treating other people? Is my attitude in check? Am I grumpy? That's why he came back from the farm grumpy. I got that one the other day. I wasn't grumpy. I didn't even notice I was grumpy. Um, apparently I was. So through my thoughts, um, where do I go to recover from my anxious thoughts? When anxiety builds, do we go to our... Uh, vice, or do we go to our Lord? You know, do we do we run to our sin to comfort us, or do we run to the Lord to sustain us? And you and I both know that we do both. And it's when we run to that vice, when we run to that sin, we need. Excuse me, we need to um, put a red flag up. Why am I going here? What is causing me to go here? My anxiety level's up. Why is my anxiety level up? I haven't been praying. I haven't been in my Bible. You know, I can almost guarantee if my anxiety level's going up or if I'm running to my vice, what do I do? I look at my Bible reading plan and see how many days I've missed on my Bible reading plan. And it's usually about five. About five days out of the scripture. And I will tend not to run to the Lord. And that's interesting so it's like, if, well, if you do your part, then I'm going to do my part, okay? But I'm going to look for that lustful pleasure, whether it's um, an addiction or if it's something that is um, selfish, just thinking selfishly, just to get that dopamine fix, right? And the Lord calls us out of that. Because the Lord, our God, will direct our path when we pursue relationship with him in prayerfulness, in living life as worship, sacrificial action to God and to man, and obedience to God's word. I put sacrificial action to God 
and man is to love God and love others, right? That's the four parts of Kavanaugh, like I said before, and uh, that's where we're going this morning for our application. So Genesis chapter 24, verse 28 through 54, I'm going to read through 33, and then I'm going to pick it up in 47, okay? So I'll tell you when I jump, and I'll recap in between there. The young man ran home to tell her family everything that had happened. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban who ran out to meet the, the man at the spring. He had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said. So he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels. Laban said, come and stay with us, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing here outside the town, outside the town where we have a room all ready for you and a place prepared for camels. So the man went home with Laban, and Laban unloaded the camels and, and gave him straw for his bedding and fed them and provided water for the man and the camels' drivers to wash their feet, and then food was served. But Abraham's servant said, I don't want to eat until I have told you why I have come. All right, Laban said, tell us. So then he recaps the story right there. He says, I, my, my master Abraham comes, and then um, I prayed this prayer. I asked for this. Rebecca fulfilled this to, the, to that point, so I put the gold ring on her nose and her, on her bracelets. And then he continues on in verse 48. and says, And then I, then I bowed down low and worshiped the Lord, and I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, because he had led me straight to my master's niece to be his son's wife. So I tell me, will you, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I will know what to do next. And then Laban and Bethuel replied, the Lord has obviously brought you here, so there's nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When, the Abraham, when Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshiped the Lord. And then he brought out the silver and gold jewelry and, and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. And then they ate their meal and the servant and the men stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, let me go back to my master. But we want Rebecca to stay here at least 10 days, her brother and mother said, and then she can go. I think they kind of like their gift, don't you think? They're looking for a little bit more. So take time to read the situation. The servant observed what was going on. He looked out and he took time to read the situation. You can see up on the screen, we have six steps for that um, as we go. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but you can fill that in on your bulletin if you would like to. When we walk with God, you can't be in the right position by chance. It's just impossible. If you're walking with God, you're walking on his path that he has created for your life, then he is directing your path to go down the road that you should be going down. So if you're following the Lord, how you should be following the Lord, if you run into trials, he's brought those trials to you. If you run into success, he's brought those success to you. Okay? You can't get there without prayer, and you can't get there without a life of worship and obedience to God's word. 
It's just impossible. While we see Rebecca take time to respond quickly to the servant, her whole family does this as well. If you notice that, Laban runs, Rebecca's running, her mom's running, her dad's running. It looks like an episode of Little House in the Prairie, folks. That's what it is. Y'all see little Laura Ingalls. She's running here and running there, and you got Mary running here and there, and Mr. Ingalls is running to save. You know, it's, it's like Little House in the Prairie. But they were ready to serve. They were quick to serve. They recognized there was an opportunity to serve, and they were in it. Okay? The family had a lot to gain and a little to lose at this prospect. Yes, they're going to lose some, some hay fodder and whatever, right? But they are going to gain so much more. And they can see that by the gold bracelets and things. Yet I believe it was also in their character, especially in Rebecca. So when the blessing came along, there was no need to put on a show. It was just their character shining through. And I will again say Rebecca's anyways, because we know Laban gets a little bit greedy uh, later on in the story with, with Jacob. How are we responding to requests in our community? Are we quick to serve? Are we quick to see that blessing is how, on how we are able to give out? I believe the church is doing well as a body of believers. When we walk together in Christ, we are doing well in this right now, okay? But I would encourage you as individuals to also look for those opportunities to serve well as well because as you serve as individuals, it's easier to serve on um, with our community. Let us not forget that this should not that this should be practiced in all our lives and we should be quick to serve. Hospitality is something that we as a church, as individuals, need to um, do better. I know that we need to do better at, at, at the house family. It's, it's not always an easy thing to do to serve when your house is full of four kids and a mess of four kids, right? And so that's something that... Um, it's, it's hard to do, but we can do that. That's something that we can do. Um, and it's important. It's really, really important in the Old Testament and in that area of the world today. If you're out wandering in the desert and you come upon a, a tent, they know that they are the difference between life and death for you. And they will put you up. That's very neat. And they're not even Christians. They're usually... Um, Muslims at that point, but they haven't lost their hospitality. So they're not, the servant was not quick in his decision making, was it? Was he? He is in the unknown. He is in the, a place where he doesn't recognize. He is in a place that he has to be slow to move. Whereas Rebecca and Laban, they're quick to move because they're on their home turf. But notice he doesn't jump right in. He stays back and he waits for them to come back to him. He throws out his feelers and after all, he is walking into the unknown. And soon this will be Rebecca's case too, right? She's going to be walking into the unknown, into this marriage that she's never met Isaac before. He retells the story of how he was sent using the details that only Abraham's family would know. Because remember, they had a servant come in 22 and report of Nahor's uh, different and Melchiah's 
um, offspring and things. So I'm sure the stories were told, and then they told the story of Abraham as well and the blessings they received, and so they would know that as it spread out through the different families. Only his brother would have known this, and he gives the Lord credit. Only the followers of the Lord would appreciate this. Laban and Bethuel recognized that he was from God in verse 50. And this is a practice we need to follow when we are walking into the unknown. I found these six steps by Rick Warren to help us along. First is pray for guidance. The first one is pray for guidance. Be sure before you do anything else, God's pers- get God's perspective on this issue. Proverbs 28 26 says, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Right? Those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Number two, get the facts. Make a plus minus sheet. Have you ever done that before? Um, The pros, cons. So you put the pros here and you put the cons here. Sometimes those are are facts that are relative to you. Sometimes you can have concrete facts that you need to get down. Sometimes you're on the outside looking in like the servant was. Who was supposed to inherit all of Abraham's um, belongings, his lands, his animals? It was supposed to be Eliezer, the, the guy that's doing this right now, his old servant. Should have inherited all that stuff. But Isaac was born right? Does he get bitter? No. He still serves Abraham. He is still so faithful. He is serving Isaac like he's serving his father. It is an amazing story of faithfulness and putting himself second in the situation. It is very, very neat. There's no contradiction between faith and facts, people. There's no contradictions between it. You can't say, well, God wants me to sin because um, it would be better if I sinned for the whole situation. No, that's not how it works. Not at all. Right? God never contradicts his word. And so he wants everything to work out um, the way he has it planned. So find out everything you can before you make a decision. Proverbs 13, 16. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't and even brag about their foolishness, right? I'm, I'm sure you've seen somebody uh, that goes into a tall tale that, to, to say something to make himself seem significant when he is not significant because he hasn't done any of those things he's done. I was talking to a friend the other day. He's like, man, he's always telling these stories. He's like, yeah, I got this money and uh, it's in this inheritance and I can't believe I, um, I'm getting it and stuff. And he's like, dude, you don't have any money coming. Why do you make up these things? I'm going to like you for who you are, not who, what you have, but you can see where he's placed his value in life. You can't put your value in possessions, people. You can put your value in other people, and you can put your value, most of all, in the Lord. Right? In the Lord. Get the facts. Ask for advice. Talk to somebody who has made a similar decision. Talk to friends who know your weaknesses, that are willing to talk to you and uh, say the things that you need to hear. Talk to family members that need to talk to you that say, dude, I don't recognize you. This is not who I know.
to be my son. This is not who I know to be my daughter. You need to get your act together because I know who you are and who you can be because we look at full potential, don't we? That Brandy found this quote for me, and it's going to be my theme for coaching this year. Um, my greatest success is your full potential. As a coach, my greatest success is your, to see your full potential. And that is as a pastor as well. My greatest success is to see your full potential. So I'm not looking at who you were or what you did last week. I want to know what you're going to do this week. Yes, I'm proud of what you've done last week. Or maybe there's some things that we need to work on. But let's look at it in a way that, hey, I'm going to work on them instead of just giving up. Right? Because we're all pressing forward to get on. So ask advice. Don't go to war with, without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Proverbs 24, 6. Number four, calculate the cost. Jesus tells a parable about this. Don't go out and build a house and just lay the foundation. All your friends are going to laugh at you. Right? If you don't finish it. Count the cost. Calculate the cost. Every decision has a price tag. It will cost you time, money, energy, reputation, talents, and resources. Proverbs 25.5 or 20.25 says, Don't trap yourself by making rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. Don't make a vow to the Lord you can't keep. That's what that verse says. Don't make a vow to the Lord you can't keep. You better cash it in if you make a vow to the Lord. When the people pressure you to make a decision, it's okay to say, I'll get back to you. It's more important to make a wise decision than a quick decision. Hear that? It's more important to make a wise decision than a quick decision. Number five, prepare for problems. In faith, expect the best. Expect God to work in your life, but also prepare for problems that are part of every decision. I didn't think of that. I didn't know that I was coming down the pipeline. And um, I wasn't aware of that. And so you need to prepare for problems. Do you have a backup plan? Do you have a contingency? Solomon said in Proverbs 22, 3, says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So use wisdom and move forward taking precautions. Go a little slower. Number six, face your fears. This is also an application point we had last week, facing your fears. Perfectionism paralyzes potential. You ever notice people use that as an excuse? Well, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Well, that's great. You know what the, that excuse is? Is I haven't taken the time to put the steps in to be comfortable to do this necessarily in front of other people. How do you clean your room? Well, you start one step at a time. You work one corner and you, or you work one item. You pick it up, right? And you clean your room. How do I get good at cleaning my room? By doing over and over and over. And sometimes we get overwhelmed with the dirtiness of the room. And so then we, get, then we stop. We don't want to um, work the process. But maybe it's first cleaning up the toys and then it's cleaning up the blankets. Then it's cleaning up the clothes. And then the tchotchkes. And then the things we need to get rid of um, along the way. And as we work the process of cleaning, we find out that our fears dissipate. 
because the problem is not nearly as overwhelming when we break it down into little steps, when we have a plan going forward. Can you see how this all correlates together as um, much like the servant did? Lord, point this out to me. So let's pause and look at these steps. Let's look at these six steps and which one do you see that you're doing well at? Which one are you doing, it's doing good at? So thank the Lord for that, right? Thank the Lord for what he has done and how he has helped you do well at these things. Then look, and which one do you need some help on? Ask the Lord for his insight and guidance on that as well. So identify your, your best and identify your worst. And thank the God, thank God and ask him for guidance on those. Because the Lord our God will direct our path when we pursue relationship with him in prayerfulness, living a life as worship, sacrificial action to God and man, and obedience to God's word. All right. Let's finish up Genesis chapter 24. We're going to start in 55 and read to the end. But we want Rebecca to stay with us at least 10 days, her brother and mother said, and then she can go. But he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her. She replied, yes, I will go. So they said, goodbye to Rebecca and sent her on her way. And Abraham's servant and his men, the woman who had been given as Rebecca's childhood nurse, went along with her. And they gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, returned from Beer Meheroi one evening. As he was walking and meditating in the field, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from the camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant, and he replied, It is my master. So Rebecca covered her face with her veil, and then she then the servant told Isaac everything he had done, and Isaac brought Rebecca into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife, and he loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. The passing of the torch in a sense there, right? The covenant promise was going through his mother, Sarah, and now will be going through Rebecca. And it's interesting how it goes through Rebecca to Jacob. So that is a very interesting story that we'll get to here in a few weeks. So also, it's interesting how you see the walking down the aisle with the veil and things that all comes from this story right here. This is some of our wedding traditions and things. She covers her face with the veil and goes, and then you have the guy tells the story and they go in to consummate the wedding in his mother's tent. This brings us about that we need to trust God with the unknown. 
Did Rebecca know Isaac? Not personally. She only had the account of what the servant did, knew, right? She only knew what the servant had told him of Isaac. So what a turn of events. The servant is certain he is walking the path the Lord has set before him. You can see this, and he says, let me go back. This is an urgent request. Let me go back and do this. I wonder if Abraham was getting close uh, to death, which we find out in the next chapter he does die. And so he may be afraid that that may be happening. He also knew that um, these things needed to go before Abraham passed away. Let me go back. Don't let me wait 10 days and let me go back. We'll ask Rebecca. And I kind of wonder if, if Rebecca was supposed to do her part and say, oh yeah, we need to wait 10 days. And she kind of said, no, let's go now. <laughs> Maybe she understood the, the urgency as well. The family is satisfied that Rebecca will receive the care she needs and it falls on her. And she says, I am willing to go to the place or am I willing to go to the place that God has for me? Rebecca is able to see the next step and walks right in line with the servant of Abraham. She decides to face her fears and go into the unknown. And I would say that she was ready to go. She was ready. She was at a place that she was walking with the Lord. So how can I be like Rebecca? I have four more points up there for you. The first one is be ready. 1 Peter 1.5 says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. We need to be ready because we don't know when Christ is coming back, do we? We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but we know he's going to come back and he told us to be ready. So how should we be living when he returns? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. We should, be, we should look a lot like Jesus, right? The second one, be equipped. Ephesians chapter 6, verses, 7, or verses 11 through 18. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be still be standing firm. Stand your guard. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from God's, from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. And in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on a salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And then Paul says, Pray for me also. Be equipped. We have an opportunity to put on the belt of truth, the armor of God's righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the 
the helmet of salvation all are important, right? Jim Lancaster does an illustration with that. And what happens if we, if you do that with your scuba gear and you leave one piece out? You're not going to go very far. No, you're up a creek without a paddle, in it, proverbially, right? So we're in trouble. So we need to be properly equipped when we go into spiritual warfare as well. We need to go in with a clean conscience before the Lord. If you come to Sunday morning and you are preparing to confront something in your life, you need to get right with the Lord. You need to ask the Lord for forgiveness that you're coming with him, kind of like what we do on communion, and praise God that he has done that. And then when you go and you come into his presence and we listen to about his word and when it has application for our lives, God can move in a mighty way in that and he will work through our lives, okay? It's the same way when you go into spiritual warfare against um, demons and the prince of demons. You have to be prayed up. You have to be repented up before you go into that battle because let me tell you, they will use it against you. You don't know what you're talking about. You struggle with this and this and this. And it's like, yeah, I do. But we're not worried about my power. You're not worried about my power, are you? You're worried about the power of the Lord God Almighty and what he can do you. And he has the authority in Jesus' name to cast you out. So depart from that person. Okay? And if they're not ready to clean house, you better be ready uh, for the next battle because they'll come back with seven of their friends, even worse. And they'll be worse off than they were before is what the, what the scripture says, right? I've seen that. I've seen it. It's important to clean house before you go to clean somebody else's house. Okay? Spiritual warfare. Okay? Very, very important. Be equipped. Be on your guard. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing. The body is weak. I want to back up to equipped. Please be in prayer for our... Um, our lock-in basically is what it is—the weekend-long lock-in. Why do I get? Why do I get suckered into this thing? I do, um, but it's good. It's time with when you get time with, and they can see that you are the same person. That is why, and you can show them the love of Jesus over a weekend long. That's why we do fall retreat. Be in prayer over that. The last time we did a we did a midnighter. Um, we had some major spiritual warfare going on that night. Um, it is presence in this community. It is present among our youth. And we, um, I'm sure it's a present among our adults here too. I'm not naive to think it isn't. Okay? Um, so we need to keep watch. We need to pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus says that to his disciples right before um, the guards come. And the last one is a lot like the first one, right? Be ready, for he is coming again. Coming again. Do you remember that song? That's a good song. I should, I should get that one in the, my repertoire. So it's hard to play on the guitar. It's one, two, three. It's like a waltz. It's, I, I need to work on the accordion. If I could just 
get that down. That's, that's the perfect instrument for that. Uh, I saw one on Facebook Marketplace. If it shows up here in William's hand someday, well, don't, don't laugh at him because his dad made him do it. <laughs> He's the one I think is talented enough that can probably pull that off really well. 1 Peter 1, 13 says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Who is writing this? Remember, it's 1 Peter. Who is writing exercise self-control? Think about that. Apostle Peter is at, says exercise self-control. Do you think Apostle Peter's learned something from the Holy Spirit? I think so. This guy doesn't exercise self-control ever in the Gospels, right? Now you see it a little bit more in Paul's writings. You see it a little bit in, in 1 Peter. Exercise self-control. Who would know that? Peter definitely would. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. He is telling you, Jesus came. He is coming again. Bank on it. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. So when he comes back, remember, that's where our hope lies. He will correct it. The Lord our God will direct our path when we pursue relationship with him in prayerfulness, living life as worship through sacrificial action to God and to man and to obedience to God's word. We have an opportunity to serve this community next in a couple of Mondays here, right? In about nine days through the tree tunnel. And we want the light to shine in dark places. We have an opportunity to do that by being a blessing, by giving out candy and bringing a joy that is unspeakable joy, right? Let our light, let our joy be that light into the community and to our workplace and to our families that they might see the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, Transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. Lord, I pray that we would be like the servant, that would be wise, and we would walk into the process. Lord, as we're walking in the process, we know that you will show up in a mighty way. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would continue to show us the next step here at White Rose. Lord, we want to be a mighty presence for you. Lord, we rest in your presence. Guide and direct us in your ways. Lead us and protect us as we go. And Lord, we pray that we'd be willing to go as fast as Rebecca did today. Lord, that we would come back and be in holy communion with you like Rebecca was with Isaac. Guide and direct us, lead us and protect us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed, thank you.